Now, last week we tackled a tricky passage, if you remember, if you were here, and the tricky passage was how did Jesus preaching to the spirits in prison, whatever that meant, relate to Noah and the flood? Now, we explored that last week, and if you weren't here and you're interested, you, you can go online and you can watch or read what was said then. Now, if you had been following along, though, in your Bibles, you will notice that I stopped in the middle of a tricky passage, not at the end, because <laughs> the next half of that passage also is a bit of a head-scratcher. I don't think quite so bad, but it still requires us to do a little bit of work. So let's read the passage from 1 Peter, picking up in the middle of that challenging passage. And this time we're connecting Noah and the flood with our baptism. And so we see this starting from verse 20. In the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. So like I said, last week we were puzzling over what Jesus' preaching to the spirits just after he died had to do with Noah's ark. Now we need to unpack what's happening with Noah's ark and our baptism. And apart from there's lots of water in both cases, the connection is not really that straightforward. So we'll have to do a little bit of work to understand this, but it's well worth it. I think if you track with me, you'll come to a fresh understanding of what our baptism means. And so before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the passages in the Bible, those that are really clear and obvious, but even those that sometimes we have to puzzle over. So as we come to today's passage, we pray that the Holy Spirit will help make clear to us what you want us to take away this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so our approach this morning will start with a, a comparison. We will consider both Noah and Jesus. And in doing that, we will then see what the threat of judgment was that was under both those situations. Then we'll look at the character of Noah and Jesus. And then alongside that, we'll see what God accomplished through Noah and then Jesus. And then once we've done that background, that'll give us the opportunity to connect what's happening with the flood and how that sheds light on our baptism. As we do, we'll be going to a variety of scripture passages, including starting off in Genesis with the story of the flood. Now, I did, instead of reading three whole chapters, which would be interesting but extensive, the scripture passage before were highlights from Genesis to remind us of the core details. So let's start by considering Noah, and in particular, what was the threat of judgment? What was the threat of judgment that was hanging over the people in his day? Well, sadly, in Noah's day, all of humanity was so wicked that God regretted that he had made them. And we see this in chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great men's wickedness on earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was full of pain. That's interesting, isn't it? 
God's heart was full of pain. Often when we sin, we think that there is a distance between our sin and God and that he is somehow removed or impervious to our sin. But the Bible is very clear. When we sin, it grieves our Father's heart. That's quite a sobering thought, isn't it? Hmm. So that's the background. And God devised a plan, and it was an exceedingly grim plan. And the plan was this, and we see that in the next verse, verse 7 of Genesis 6. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, for I am grieved that I made them. Now this threat of judgment is grim beyond measure. However, amongst all this rebellion and wickedness, there was an exception, and that exception's name was Noah. And so let's briefly look at Noah and his character, because it was the character of Noah that made him an exception. So let's have a look at Noah's character. And we see first that he found favour with God. Genesis 6, 8 and 9, the next few verses. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9 then says this. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. And here we have three qualities, three aspects of Noah's character. First of all, he was a righteous man, which meant in his actions, in his daily walk, he strived to be right with God and right with his fellow people, the people around him. And this striving to be right with God and right with others is reflected in his next quality, because we are told that he was blameless. In his interactions with others, no one could accuse him of being selfish or untruthful, or gossipy, or mean, or a thief, or a liar. No, indeed, he kept his word, and he treated others with respect. So he was blameless. And the third thing we're told in this verse here is that he walked with God. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? He walked with God. Now, in the Bible, there are only two people where that phrase that name walked with God. Do you know who the other person was? Close, obscure person in some respects, but Enoch. Enoch walked with God. And if you see that a chapter or so earlier in Genesis, you'll see that Enoch walked with God and then God took him up to be with him in heaven. And so Enoch did not die a natural death. Now, the only other person where the phrase, he walked with God, is used is with Noah. So isn't that amazing? That tells us something of Noah's character, but also his special relationship with God. So that's the first characteristic of Noah's character. Now the next quality that reflects Noah's character is that he was obedient, his obedience. For in a world that was in open rebellion against God, Noah was the only person who was obedient. And we're told that twice. We're told that in uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And that's repeated a few verses later, chapter 7, verse 5, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Now, I've said this before, and it bears repeating. In the Bible, if the Bible wants to make something really clear to emphasize it, it doesn't use capital letters or bold like we do in our emails. 
If God wants to make something really clear, he will repeat that in the passage. And so God really wants to emphasize that Noah was obedient. And he had to be because he had to build an ark. And the Bible tells us it took him 120 years, which is a phenomenal amount of time. Now, of course, in the days before Noah, people did live for hundreds and hundreds of years. But still, 120 years to build a boat in the middle of dry land, talk about obedience. The third quality that reflects the character of Noah is that he was a worshipping man. He worshipped God. In a world that was worshipping everything but God, Noah worshipped only God. And we see this immediately after the flood had subsided and after it was safe to embark. Genesis 8.20 tells us this. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals, the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Now, some of you may be doing the maths here, and you think, well, they only took pairs of animals into the ark, and if immediately after they, um, they got off the ark, Noah killed some of them. Why do we still have sheep? Why do we still have bulls? Why do we still have doves and those other animals? Does anyone know why? Uh, they weren't that busy on the 40 days to produce, actually. In one of the parts that I didn't read out, God was very specific and said, all of the clean animals, you need to take seven pairs in. And so all of the, um, so there were seven pairs of sheep, seven pairs of cattle, seven pairs of doves. So if you think about it, you know, there was one pair of elephants, but seven pairs of sheep. If you think of it along those sort of lines. But that's why, anyway, anyway, just in case some of you were doing the maths and wondered how that worked out. Just an aside, seeing who's paying attention, well done. Anyway, back to the character of Noah. Noah found favour with God because amongst all the wickedness around him, Noah was blameless, he was obedient, and he worshipped the God he walked with. And finally, what did God accomplish through Noah? Through the building of the ark. Well, because he did, eight individuals were saved. And because those eight were saved, the whole of humanity was saved. That's what God did through Noah. Despite the wickedness of humanity, in God's kindness, he saved Noah and his family so that mankind would not be wiped off the face of the earth. So this is then the background of Noah. Now we've considered Noah, let's consider Jesus in a similar light. Remember, we're trying to make the connection between the flood, which we've looked at, and baptism to where we're going. That's where we're heading now towards baptism. So let's consider Jesus in a very similar light to what we just considered Noah. Now what was the threat of judgment that was hanging over was hanging over us? Well, the Bible is clear. The threat of judgment is because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In comparison to God's holiness, everyone by default is wicked. Unless we minimize sin, which we all like to do, unless we say, well, everyone else does it, or the person next to me is a lot worse, or I'm not as bad as that axe murderer that was on TV the other night, before we start to minimize our sin, the Bible is clear, for the wages of sin is death. Because of this, each of us will face judgment. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So this is the threat that is hanging over each one of us. We have all sinned. The wages of sin is death. We all will give an account before the judgment seat of God. And because we are all sinners, we're all in trouble. Serious trouble, inescapable trouble, trouble we cannot get out of by ourselves. We are like those in Noah's day. We are rebellious and under the threat of judgment. We need rescuing. We need an ark. Now, God in his great kindness sent something much better than an ark to rescue us from the threat of judgment. He sent his son. Never get tired of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And in this role, Jesus is immensely qualified. Let's briefly compare his character with that of Noah. Of course, Noah had the favor of God, and we see this throughout his life, but in particular in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. And it's this, And Jesus grew in wisdom and statue and in favor with God and men. Because Jesus was right with God and men, because Jesus was blameless, and because Jesus walked with God, he had favor with both his heavenly Father, but also with people around him. Jesus had the favor of God. Uh, second, again, we're comparing Jesus with Noah. Like Noah, Jesus was obedient. Now, we see this throughout Jesus' ministry, but it comes into sharp focus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was betrayed. And we read this in Matthew 26, verse 39. Jesus is facing the cross. Matthew 26, 39. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you. So Jesus is facing the cross. He knows that the next day that he will be crucified. And he doesn't want to be crucified. And he's saying to his Father, Is there any other way? If there is, I'll take it. Three times he prays that prayer, and three times God says, No, there is no other way. And Christ was obedient, even though it cost. He was obedient in such a way that he went to Calvary. So Jesus, like Noah, had the favor of God and was obedient, but he also worshipped, like Noah. He worshipped, but on a whole new level, for Jesus did not offer sheep on the altar like Noah did. What did he offer instead? He offered himself. And there are a number of verses that we could choose that emphasizes that Jesus worshipped God by sacrificing himself, but since we're in 1 Peter, let's use that wonderful passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that you were, not, you were not redeemed with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were redeemed from your empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Amazing, isn't it? Redeemed to mean rescued, rescued from slavery, rescued from the threat of judgment, it wasn't through silver or gold, 
but through the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and defect. And so Christ worshipped, but he didn't worship by offering sacrifice of lambs, but his, he offered himself. And in all this, what did God accomplish? What did God accomplish? Well, eight were saved through Noah, and so all mankind was saved. Or remember, the problem of sin is dealt with. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. So that's what Christ accomplished on the cross. He took our sins away. And so he has dealt with sin, which means we are now freed from judgment. Just like the eight did not have to face judgment and drown in the flood, so we who look to Jesus do not have to face judgment that leads to eternal death. Now, this connection is quite important with where we're going with baptism. So I'll say it again. Just like the eight in the ark did not have to face judgment and drown in the flood, so we who believe in Jesus do not have to face eternal judgment that leads to death. Instead, when we come to judgment, when we who look to Jesus, it will be completely different. And I love the way that Jude uh, talks about this. Now, it's part of the benediction of Jude, but this is how we will face judgment when we look to Christ. To him who is able to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. I mean, that's how we will all come to the judgment seat of God if we look to Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Jesus will present us before his heavenly Father and we will be without fault, but instead we will have great joy. And this was what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Tremendous, isn't it? Because of Christ's death and resurrection, we will not be presented to God as sinners deserving judgment, but without fault and great joy as dearly loved children. And so Jesus is the true and the better knower who, being blameless, and obedience, sacrificed his life so we could be safe from judgment. Not a great flood, but from eternal death. Christ died for individuals, you and I, so that whole of humankind could be saved from eternal death. And so now we're ready to make the connection between the flood and our baptism. So this is where we're going to try and string this together in a way that makes sense. Just a reminder of that passage in uh, 1 Peter that we're, we're connecting here from verse uh, 20. In the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only eight people, or a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism and now saves you. So this is how it works. With Noah, the water of the flood represents judgment. And apart from the eight, everyone stayed down and they perished. So the water in Noah's day represented judgment and all but eight perished. When it comes to baptism, it's similar. The water represents judgment. And because we are all sinners, when we go under the water, we should stay under. So if I was doing my job right, and someone didn't confess Jesus and I was baptising them, I should wait until I saw the bubbles. Isn't that a terrible thought? <laughs> but you, I'm trying to make the point. 
Without Jesus, the water of the baptism represents judgment where we should have gone and stayed under. That's the judgment that's hanging over us. But because Jesus was raised from the dead and because we believe in Jesus, we come up and we can breathe and we're saved. And that's the connection. That's the insight that Noah's Ark and the flood brings to our baptism. We should be drowned like everyone else on the face of the earth because we were under judgment. But because Jesus died for our sins and took away the judgment and because he was raised from the dead, we come out of the waters of baptism, free from judgment. Now, baptism in itself doesn't save anyone. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. Okay, so just taking anyone off the street and baptizing them is going to make no difference whatsoever. What happens is that the inward reality is we have asked Jesus to be Lord of our life. We believe that he's raised from the dead. And so when anyone's baptism, those are the confessions that they make before they're baptized. Either the parents of an infant make that confession or the person getting baptized makes that confession that Jesus is their Lord and they believe God raised them from the dead. And when that happens, they are born again and baptism is an outward expression of that wonderful truth of being born again. And so that's the insight that Noah's Ark gives us towards our baptism. We should have stayed under the water. But because Jesus took care of our sin and rose from the dead, we can come out as dearly loved children, free from any judgment. Now, the Bible's clear. Each of us will give account of our lives before God, but it won't be under the threat of judgment. It will be in a sense of great joy and without fault. So let's all tie this together, or just before we do, before we tie this together, just notice how 1 Peter finishes, finishes triumphantly with the resurrection of Jesus from verse 21 or verse 20. It saves, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and the powers and submission to him. Notice how we started with the uh, last week when it comes to Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, and this week we finish with the glorious resurrection where Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, where he intercedes for us and where all heaven is in submission and gladly bowing their knee to Christ our Lord. So let's tie all this together for this morning. We're in the middle of quite a difficult passage in 1 Peter. You'll be pleased to know life gets a lot more straightforward as we move towards the end of this letter. Last week, we looked at what the flood had to do with Jesus preaching to the spirits in, in prison. Uh, this week, we've been making the connection between Noah and the flood and our baptism, trying to make sense. Now, the predicament was very similar. Uh, both in Noah's day and today, we are under the threat of judgment. And if God is not merciful, each one of us will perish. So in God's great kindness, back in Noah's day, he who was blameless, Noah, and a worshipper, walked with God. Because Noah was obedient, God saved eight, and then he saved the whole of humankind. And Jesus, we've looked at as a true and a better Noah. For Jesus was also blameless in a true and a better way, a worshipper in a true and a better way, 
And because Jesus was obedient and because he was God's own son, all who believe in him are saved from perishing, just like the eight were saved in the ark. And all this can be represented in baptism. For perishing in the water is our judgment. That's what we should do. We should all have drowned in the water when we were baptized, like those in Noah's day. But because Jesus died for our sins, we are not held down. Good news. We are not held down under the water as we deserve, but we are raised up with Jesus. We are raised up from death to life, from perishing to peace, peace with God. This is the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that amongst this bit of a head-scratcher of a passage, there's this wonderful truth, this wonderful truth where your kindness has reached down into our lives and instead of judgment and eternal punishment, we have eternal life and freedom with you. Help us to understand and appreciate it. Help us to live lives worthy of this wonderful gift that you have given us. We pray this through Christ's name. Amen.